But today we're finishing up a series on First Peter, and really what we've been talking about is uh, in the context of First Peter, we know that it was written to a group of Christians who were under severe persecution. Uh, some of the things that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks is that Emperor Nero was uh, literally insane. He had his mom murdered. He had his wife murdered. Most likely he had his second wife murdered, all because he thought that they wanted his power. And so power was more important to him than his relationships and it was suspected that uh, the great fire in Rome, that he actually set it because he wanted to build new buildings and Congress wouldn't let him. And so uh, here, here's just a complete nut job. And he decided somewhere along the way that he was going to pick on Christians. He was going to persecute Christians. And so he would do things like uh, take them and for sport, wrap them in animal skins and then set them out and let wild animals go tear them apart. And uh, that was just sport for him. He would do things like throw a party for his uh, friends, and the way he would light the party uh, with light was to take Christians, dip them in hot wax, and then light their hair on fire, and they were literally a human candle. And so this is the setting in which Peter has been writing all of these things, and we've been talking over the past three weeks about the different perspectives that that setting gives us, and what God is calling you into when he says, be holy, be set apart, in essence, he's saying, you are different. And we pick that up right out of the beginning of First Peter where he says, where he's writing to these people under incredible circumstances. And he says to them, you are elect exiles. You've been handpicked by God to be different, to be set apart, to not fit in. And so as we draw that to a close, what I want to talk about today is a different perspective in persecution. If you have notes uh, or are on the Bible app, uh, I got some things that I want to walk you through today that um, really should be a game changer in the way that you live your life. When you roll out of bed on Monday and your feet hit the floor and uh, you have to choose your perspective for that day, uh, I think this will help you. But... This will probably be the most encouraging message you didn't want to hear, <laughs> if I could just say it to you that way. Because what we're talking about is persecution. I think a lot of times when we come to Scripture, I think theologically we know that God doesn't promise uh, all happiness and joy. But practically speaking, uh, probably the easiest way for you to think about this is what does your prayer life look like? What are the things that you pray about? And, and, you know, I could get super convicting with you and super convicting with me and just point out that all of us are horrible people. And, uh, but I do that almost every week. So, but, but think about this just on a practical level. Jesus never promised that you would be rich. But most of us are in the world's standards. But he never promised that. Most of us practically believe that God never wants us to be heartbroken. Most of us practically believe that God wouldn't allow it to rain on our vacation. Most of us believe our plumbing will never back up. And of course, I'm making this stuff up, but like we, we pray, what are you praying for? Because some of the things that we run to God in the middle of actually have nothing to do with what God's after. Listen to this. Listen to what he says in John chapter 15. I think we're going to put that on the screen, right? John, if the world hates you, 
Keep in mind that it hated me first. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. And so what is important for us to remember is what Jesus actually said. Not what we want him to say, but what he actually said. And so Peter's reminding these people who are in unbelievable circumstances, as far as persecution goes, that God is with them and, in fact, is using the very things that they're struggling with uh, to further his kingdom. Because here's what's crazy. Many believe that this was the worst decade of Christian persecution in history. So I just, I just gathered just a few stats that were just like at a glance. I didn't dive super deep into it. So if you do this week and I was wrong about some of this, like, sorry. All right. But just to give you a little perspective, all right, just grab some numbers. Um, on average, there was something around 322 Christians killed per month. Just in the people that he was writing to. 214 Christians, we at least have record that were destroyed by Nero. 772 acts of violence, rape, beatings, tortures. Like, these are things that we have documented. Like, all of this is happening. And when you think about that, the question is, what about you? When we read that, what is happening in your life where what Jesus says as you not being greater than him, where's that persecution in your life? Because the Bible says if you desire to live a godly life, you will suffer persecution. So if nothing's happening in your life, like family, job, some, there should be a rub somewhere. Can I say it that way? There should be a rub somewhere. We've looked at a lot of principles as to why God's called you to be different. And what I want to do today is ask you, are you different? Are you actually different? Because what, what, we, what we can't do is think we're different and not be different and stand before God one day and he's like, I don't know who you are. Because what did, what did they say in Matthew? What did they say? They said, God, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. And what did he say to them? I don't know you. And so it's less about a to-do list and more about an identity. Who are you? Who are you? And I want to I look at that because if you're faithfully living for Christ, you ought to expect some sort of opposition. If you're on the bench spiritually, uh, that's a problem. If you don't serve, if you don't give, if your prayer life is weak. Let me say it to you in sports terms, you're no threat. You know, if you watch a basketball game or you watch a baseball game, they're not worried about who's on the bench. Nobody's worried about who's not doing anything. We're worried about the people in the game. Satan is, the Bible says, walking about, roaring like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. If he's not worried about devouring you, if you're not being uh, opposed in any way, uh, that could be a sign that you're not in the game. That you're not in the game. Because when you get in the game, the enemy takes notice, right? I mean, I've had conversations with some of you that you just, 
you've been seeing that as you have dug your heels in spiritually, Satan has dug his heels in spiritually. And that as you have moved forward, Satan has moved forward. And what I would just encourage you with today is awesome. Awesome. Because the Bible says if you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. And so we don't need to take that as uh, a scare tactic. We need to take that as a faith-bolstering improvement in our situation. Does that make sense? That, that, if, that if Satan's coming after you, uh, that's actually a great thing because he's coming after those who are in the game, if I could say it that way. And so, but but let, me, let me walk through just a couple verses in 1 Peter here. If you have a Bible, go to 1 Peter. Uh, listen to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, what does he say? Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal, probably literal, right? The fiery ordeal between Rome burning down and your friend being burned as a candle. That at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I mean, let's just be real. If, if you were living in that time and somebody busted in your house in the middle of the night and took you and your children and started wrapping animal skins around them, and you might think that that was a problem. But let's think about the thing that Peter's saying here because to you and I, we might think that. Like if you show up at work tomorrow and share your faith with somebody and they go, oh, you believe that? You actually believe that? We would think Peter's statement, don't be surprised if, if people are, you know, not into that. We'd be like, all right, all right. I tried. I tried. And we, you know, we go back to our cubicle or whatever you do. Some of you fly airplanes. I know, you're cooler than we are. <laughs> but we would think that. But if you were drug out of your house and beaten... And murdered, the rest of us in church probably wouldn't pull this verse out and go, well, wasn't that strange? I saw it coming. Praise God for that guy. I mean, when you just when you just take that and set it back in perspective as to who Peter was talking to, it, it ought it ought to blow our mind. It ought to blow our mind because when was the last time you sought out persecution? And said, like Paul did, oh, I just want, I want to know the power of your resurrection and the glory of your suffering. Why could he say that? Because at that point, you've moved so close into who and what Jesus was and was doing in the world that you can taste and see that the Lord is good. Does that make sense? That, that you shouldn't be surprised that suffering's coming your way. You should actually welcome it because what is happening is you are being closer and closer moved to what God is doing in the world. He said you will suffer persecution. He said don't be surprised. But look at verse 13. I didn't even put this on. Did I put this on the screen? Do I have to? Look at that. You guys are awesome. All right. I don't even know why I doubted you. Look at verse 13. It gets worse. It gets worse. He doesn't just tell them not not to be surprised by it, but he goes on and he says, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So you thought I was crazy when I just said you should welcome suffering. 
you were in the back of your mind, you were thinking, yeah, yeah, you're a pastor. You have to say that. <laughs> yeah, well, so is Peter. All right. And he's writing this to people who are just under incredible persecution. And maybe it's not as groundbreaking for you as it is for me, but I just keep coming back to this concept. And I want you to that you can walk into work tomorrow. You can walk into the grocery store. You can walk into your kid's classroom. You can go anywhere God's called you to go, and you can share Christ with somebody. What is wrong with us that we walk into places and we, we say nothing? I'm not, I'm not just preaching at you. I'm preaching at me. I mean, seriously, what is wrong with us that we would be ashamed of the gospel? I think what's happened is we haven't tasted the gospel. We haven't actually tasted that the God of the universe looked on me in my horrendous, horrific sin and died on the cross for that. So that we could be a family who would share good news. And not only that, but he promised us the Holy Spirit to come on us with power. We don't, we don't even have to supply the power. I, mean, it, I don't know how else to say it. Don't be surprised if you walk into battle tomorrow and they start shooting at you. We've got some military people. If you fly to the Middle East and somebody starts to shoot at you, it's probably not that surprising, right? Right? <laughs> He's like, no, it's not. All right? I would be freaked out. I just want you to know. But we have to shift our expectations. We have to have a different perspective in persecution because newsflash, it's not going to get any better here. All right? It's not going to get better And so we've got to change our perspective. He said, don't be surprised by the fiery trial. You know, you you can adapt that to your situation. I mean, if you were living in Libya right now, he'd be saying, don't be surprised if somebody was beheaded because they confessed Christ. If you were in Muslim Indonesia, he might say, don't be surprised if your family completely disowns you for following Christ. Maybe if you were a young person in college and you don't get a second date because you chose to be pure, you shouldn't be surprised. What, what, what's your situation? Maybe you're going to go home this Thanksgiving and people are going to make fun of you because of the choices you've made. A lot to think about. A lot to think about. So many of us are seeking comfort pleasure and ease and me too i mean given the choice that's what we want given the opportunity and given the resources it's what we it's what we do we avoid conflict we dodge opposition and we take the path of least resistance but here's the thing though as we pursue that we never get what we're looking for I mean, you've ever just like wanted something so bad and then you get it and like a month later you're like, "Mm, not exactly what I was hoping it would do for me. We've all had that experience, whether it was when you were a kid or an adult or, you know, I mean, there's so many things in this life that we seek and it never fills the gap. But then we read stuff that 
the Bible says about persecution, and when you enter into that, it begins to fill the gap. When you start to give away, and when you start to uh, share your faith, and when you start to uh, take on the persecution, it begins to fill the gap. I put in your notes there uh, two little circles, and I think it's the key to what Peter's saying. This isn't what I what I made up. It just comes right out of what Peter said. And uh, if you don't have one, there's note sheets around. You can grab one. They're also in the in the Bible app. They're on that. But listen to this. There, there is a cycle that Peter explains here. And I'm being really practical with you today. I, I hope that's okay. Uh, I know a lot of times I really get at you and preach and, and all that. But, but I, I think that when we are in the middle of this, we have to come and draw conclusions that uh, transform the way we think. And that's what I want today to do. I want today to transform the way you make decisions, the way I make decisions, the way this church makes decisions. Because look at this. When you pursue comfort, it leads to avoiding opposition. You can't help it. Because if something makes me uncomfortable, I want to avoid it. So it just goes around the circle. You pursue comfort, avoid opposition, your faith weakens. Because who are you trusting in now? You're trusting in yourself. And what happens to that? Your life begins to be empty. Because Christ isn't there. Uh, you know, we've talked about before the when theologians wrote that, you know, there's a God-shaped hole in everybody's heart. Well, if you're filling that with other things, it's never going to lead you to where you want to be. But then Peter gives us this opposite perspective this opposite perspective where if you live boldly and you face opposition your faith will strengthen it's counterintuitive that your faith will actually strengthen and as a result you'll be closer to christ and i just i want to encourage you today and i'm going to give you time at the end here to pray and just ask god to to help you want that that you would begin to live out Acts chapter 1-8. That this wouldn't just be something that we're reading, but something that we're living. Because if it doesn't go from your head to your heart to your hands, what are we doing? What are we doing? You know, we, you know the church's bad rap is always about money. Well, like, let's flip that around. Like, why, why is it so hard to give? Because we're pursuing comfort, we're avoiding opposition, and our faith is weak, and life has felt empty. Maybe that's why. But when we're living boldly and facing opposition, our faith will strengthen. It affects every area of your life. And what, I want, what I'm calling you today to do is to do what's right and trust God with the results. Look at look at 1 Peter 4:19. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. When life doesn't make sense, when things are difficult, if you commit yourself to the Lord and trust that he's at work and continue to do good, he will handle what only God can handle. You weren't designed to handle what God can handle. 
We talk about all we talk about a lot that if God was on your level, we'd all be in trouble. There's a reason that the prophets of old and that uh, Paul wrote that his ways are higher than your ways. There's some things that you just got to trust God in that God's at work and that God's doing things that you don't understand that I don't understand. And that he is capable of handling it. You know, we do what's right at work, at school, with our family and our team. We don't cut corners. We don't compromise our values. The world is getting darker and darker. Every From time to time, I'll get a question about that and be like, Pastor, does that, does that concern you? Does that worry you? Not at all. Not at all. It doesn't worry me a bit because persecution never weakens the church. It has always, always, always strengthened the church. You can look back through the corridors of time and all through history. Persecution has always made the church grow and be stronger. You look around the, around the world right now, the places where persecution is happening, the church is growing faster than it is here. Every time, the rates of increase are amazing. And so what I'm saying to you is that it's easy to claim to be a Christian. It's easy to claim to be a Christian. A lot of times it's more difficult for us to live like a Christian. You know, and I don't, I don't even have to tell you what that means, right? You know. You know. Where to love God. Where to share good news. And where to serve our city. That's why we put them on the wall. When you look at your life, what are the things that... that, that Rise to the top. Would people say, man, there's a person that loves God. If you can get that one right, the others are going to come. Because you, you can't walk with Christ and, and not be affected by Christ. Most of the time we're not affected by Christ because we're not actually walking with Christ. But here's the beauty of that. That was all really negative, Pastor. <laughs> here's the beauty of that. That could have been true every day of your life to today, but in Christ it can all change immediately. That's the beauty of the gospel, is that you, you could have done nothing right. I preached at one of, our, one of our supporting churches yesterday, and I was preaching on the life of Jacob, and the series was called Heroes of the Faith. Well, Jacob was about the farthest thing from a hero that you could possibly be. His mom named him Deceiver, and he lived up to it, right? Jacob in Hebrew means deceiver. And he lived up to that name, man. He stole his brother's birthright. He stole his brother's uh, blessing. He stole everything. And then his brother wanted to kill him, so he ran away. And then he got suckered by his uncle Laban. And so he, de- he was deceived by Laban. So he deceived Laban back to get the second daughter. And then he's got two wives, which is wrong. And so, like, he just boom, 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 boom. Like, just wrong, 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 wrong. And then he has this weird encounter with God. And God wrestles with him. Can you imagine God wrestling with you? And about the time Jacob, he, Jacob was 100 years old at that point. Can you imagine being 100 years old and God coming to wrestle with you, UFC style, just beat you up, right? But the Bible says that God was not overpowering him. And about the time Jacob felt like he was getting things done, it's the Bible says that God took his finger and touched his hip. And that was the end. And Jacob's response to that was, I have seen God face to face and lived. If you ain't dead, God's not done. And so Jacob, right there in that moment, after a horrible life, horrible life, 
God looked at him and said, you will no longer be Jacob, but you will be Israel, which means God's fighter. And he would move forward and be a totally different person in the grace of God. And so what I'm saying to you today is if you've done, if you have done none of this right, today's a new day because of the grace of God. And what I want to encourage you to do is take those two little wheels and just ask yourself, which one am I living? Which one am I living? Am I avoiding persecution? Am I avoiding anything that doesn't feel good? And I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit to to move you to the other wheel. Where is it that you're struggling? Do you struggle to be generous? Then be irrationally generous this week. Do you struggle to spend time with the Lord? then spend a lot of time with the Lord this week. Just do something different because God handpicked you to be different. And when we enter into and when we step into what God was, God is and was doing and is going to do, he blesses that. But let's just keep in mind that his blessings don't always look like our blessings. That his blessings always look like our blessings. I want to do something a little bit different today. I say that a lot, so it's probably not different anymore. I should probably stop saying that. If Camden was here, she'd tell me to stop saying that. But I, I want you to just listen. Why don't you stand with me? I want to read, I want to read two, two more scriptures to you as you stand. I want to get the blood flowing again. Get your brains with me. Because then I'm going to ask you to spend just a minute or two with the Lord. Ben, you can come on back up. And uh, after I read these scriptures, Ben... We'll start to play. And I just want you to spend a couple of minutes with the Lord. I don't think we do that enough. I think you just need a moment. This may be your only moment of silence if you have children. Amen? Uh, but listen, listen to what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because why? Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. It's the key to this. You've got to set you down. All through the New Testament, we're told to set our lives aside and pick up the fight for another person. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. What an amazing scripture. Have you ever done that? I'm an anxious person by nature. Like if you send me an email tomorrow and tell me you're mad at me, I won't sleep until we talk, you know. But I also like don't like confrontation, so I want to talk to you for a while. And so my life will just be horrible for like a week and a half. And then we'll talk and you'll be like, I didn't like the coffee. And I'll be like, oh, I'll change it right now. All right. Actually, I won't because I like it. And, uh. But have you ever done that? Have you ever just humbled yourself and said, God, I just, I don't know what to do. Or maybe you know what to do. This is my struggle. Maybe you know what to do. But it's just really hard to trust God that if I lay down the idol that's in my heart, that he's going to fill it up, that he's going to step in there and meet you where you are. But that's what he did for Jacob. That's what he did for Gideon. That's what he did for David and all the other wretched people in the Bible. Have you ever humbled yourself under God's mighty hand so that he could lift you up instead of you lift you up?
See, most of us, we are trying to lift ourselves up. And God's saying, no, that's backwards. You put yourself down. You get low, and I'll bring you up high. That's the way God wants it to go. And then, I just want to throw up there 1 Peter 5.11. Listen to this. To Him. To Him. Everybody say Him. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Let me pray for you. And then I want to just give you a minute before we take an offering to just go before the Lord. So I'm going to pray. And then you have just a minute or two to yourself. Father, so grateful for your word. It was a practical day in your word. We've studied some principles over the last few weeks that you've selected us on purpose and put us in this country, in this city, in this church for a reason. God, we want to today humble ourselves under your mighty hand so that you would lift us up and begin to use us as you see fit. Holy Spirit, we confess that we need your help, that we don't have the answers, that we can't see the future, and that like that father who met Jesus and needed his son to be healed looked Jesus in the eye and said I believe but I need you to help my unbelief Holy Spirit I pray that you would do that for each and every person in this room right now that whatever they're facing tomorrow whatever they're facing this afternoon wherever they are that Holy Spirit you would be faithful to come on them with power so that they can be your witness God, I pray against our flesh that we would not pursue the pleasures of this world, but that we would enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit. That as the psalmist wrote, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I pray that would be true of Redeemer City Church that we would love you more than anything else because you first loved us. Holy Spirit, as we spend just a minute individually with you, I ask that you would meet us here and that you would speak to us, that you would draw us to be more like Jesus.